Well, good morning again. My name is Sean, the lead pastor here. And one of the traditions we sort of have here at Sycamore is we kind of take a time at the beginning of the year. It's great when it actually falls on New Year's Day like this to really anchor ourselves in the gospel. And we try to preach the gospel every week, but we're also preaching a specific text. But on this day, we really want to just outline the gospel itself, how good it is, how beautiful it is. And we have a very uh, specific reason for doing that is this is the beginning of the year. Many of us like to do um, New Year's resolutions and, and things like that, which is fine if you're into that. But the problem with that, you probably know this, is that we can try discipline and we can try habits and we can use the latest app that's going to keep us accountable and all this stuff. But when you get right down to it, we always do what we want to do in any given moment, period. We always do what we want to do. And so the issue is not discipline. The issue is not getting your life organized. The issue is what does your heart love? Because what your heart loves, your will desires, and your brain will help you to do. So beginning of the year, let's anchor ourselves in the beauty of Jesus the glory of the gospel, and just how unbelievably good it is. So with that in mind, here's how I want to get us into this passage today. I want to show you a picture of something right here. I don't like crowds, okay? This is a crowded Amtrak station. Now, when Nikki and I were and our family were church planting in Boston, one of the things we found out that was actually relatively inexpensive to do was to take the train from Boston to New York City, get an Airbnb, and we could spend three or four days in New York, actually cheaper than it was for us to go home to see our family. So <clears throat> that's why we didn't go. So anyway, um, <laughs> that's our story. We're sticking to it. So anyway, can you imagine trying to grab a bunch of bags through this crowd to get to the train? It's awful. But there's a secret. There's this thing called the red cap service. Anybody used red cap service before? Anybody have any idea what this is? A couple of you have. Okay, here's the cool thing about red cap service. You find these guys who are, okay, ready? They're wearing a red cap, and you give them your bags. They take, and they give you a ticket in return, and then you do what you got to do, and then about 10 minutes before your train, they call you up and you go to the red cap, they escort you past all these people right to the train. And the cool thing about Boston, the train originates there, so it's an empty train. They put your bags on the train for you, and you get your pick of seats. And here's the cool thing. It's free! You're expected to tip at the end, but you tip them less than the airline charges you for a bag. It's like, hey, I'm all into this. But people like me who grew up cheap and are still kind of cheap, I assume, well, we can't afford that. That's for people who are like in you know, upper management and stuff who go to a PCA church. I, I can't afford that. Right? But Nikki's like, no, no, it's free. We're going to do it. You know, because my wife was raised with better things, so she's like used to it. So she does this, and I'm like, can, can we afford this? Anyway, it makes the trip totally better when you have this crowd here and all you're doing is walking through the carry-on. Someone else is taking care of your bags. But see, most of these people aren't doing it because their cheap hearts are keeping them from back from this service. It's right there. The guys are very obvious. They want your work. They want the tips. And no one uses this service like they should. And that is a picture. I want you to get that picture in your mind of an assumption that many of us in church world have about the gospel. We may confess faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, and absolutely we're saved by grace to get us in, not of works, so no one can boast. We're so good on that, but then once you get on this side of salvation, let's be candid with each other. We tend to fall back into a performance mentality, don't we? 
we tend to fall back into God loves me based on how good I am, right? We tend to fall back to God loves me based on how much I'm like Christ. And I want you to understand today the precipice of the new year. If you don't remember anything else, God loves you as much as you are in Christ, not as much as you were like Christ. He has anchored us in the gospel. So what I want to do to get our hearts enthralled again at the beginning of the year with the gospel, the beauty of Jesus is to show us that we have it. We have God's favor. But so often we don't think we do. And so we're lugging the baggage of our life around instead of living in joy. So hear this today. We don't need to mess with our baggage when Jesus handles it for us. So with that in mind, would you turn with me now to page 10, where the sermon passage is found for today. It's also found on page 766 in that blue Bible there on the chair in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible at home, would you please take that Bible home with you as our gift? We'd love for you to have that. So here now, God's word from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray together. Now, gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before your word this morning, we ask that you would once again, would you enthrall our hearts with the glory of your gospel? Would the beauty of Jesus overwhelm us? Would we long for that beauty so that our desires would want to be more like Christ? And we pray, Lord, that you would do this by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, first things first, I want to give a shout out to a book. I have a picture of it here for you. Uh, This was the very first book in the Pastor's Book Club when I got here about three years ago, uh, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. I highly recommend this book to you, and I'm going to be borrowing heavily from this book today in our time together. And we have about 30 free copies of this book in the church library. You want to go back there, uh, second door on the left, there's a table in there, and there's some copies of this book. You are welcome to go in there and get one. We just ask if you take a free copy, please read it. And if you, if you take it home and you realize, you know what, I'm actually never going to read this. That's cool. No harm, no foul. Just bring it back and let someone else have a chance to do it. So anyway, highly recommend this book to you, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Orland. Going to be borrowing from that today. So here's where we're going today. Our cheap hearts slog our burdens through our Christian life, all while Jesus is standing right there who wants to take it from us for free. We need that truth because as verse 28 shows us, we all have so much baggage. Jesus starts out this little call here by recognizing, guess what? Everybody needs help. He calls all those who need help. He does not start off and say, okay, those of you who have wallowed in your guilt like a pig in mud long enough, you feel bad enough, now come to me for help, okay? You've suffered enough, now come. No, Jesus says, all who are laboring, ongoing verb in the original, all who are still heavy laden, That's everybody. Jesus is from the deep south of Israel. He's saying all y'all are already qualified to come and get this service from me. We need his red cap service because we are overloaded with baggage on this journey of life. What's our baggage? Well, I mean, I'm a preacher. I'm a Presbyterian. So we could talk about sins and transgressions if you want to. We got those in plenty, and we could all list them, I know. 
But our baggage is not always the horrible things we do that we know we shouldn't, or the good things we don't do because we just don't want to in the moment. That's baggage, but there's also, especially this time of year, baggage is also our hopes. It's our dreams. It's time for New Year's resolutions, right? I'm not a fan of those because most of the time it's just setting you up for guilt on February 1st. Babylon Bee, someone told me about this morning that the Babylon Bee headline shows millions of people make commitment to read the Bible in a year. And then it shows the January 5th headline. It says, dozens still attempting. Because <laughs> we do that, don't we? These well-meaning resolutions become burdens. Leads to us feeling guilty. Leads to us feeling like a failure. That's baggage. That's a burden. See, trying to use discipline, trying to activate your will in order to change your life becomes a pressure cooker of performance. That's baggage. We fall into this because our culture operates what sociologists call an identity narrative. You've probably never used that phrase yourself, but here's how you you can know. The idea of being authentic, something my grandparents never talked about, that my parents talked about maybe a little, that my generation, sorry, like really started getting into it. Under that idea of being authentic, there's this constant pressure to find and then fulfill your deepest desires. And because we are wired by God in his image to obey, remember back in the garden, God said, do this and you shall live. We're still wired to earn blessing through our performance. We expect to earn good things through our obedience. So this identity narrative becomes a new law in our life. It's heavy baggage, this pressure that says, find and fulfill your dreams or you are a failure. Here's how you know you're caught in this. You ever noticed in those quiet moments how there's just this background noise in your mind of an assumption that everyone else is doing better than you? Whatever that means. Like, like you're losing a race you didn't even know you were in. That's baggage, isn't it? That's performance anxiety. It's a heavy, heavy burden. And into that burden, into that pressure, Jesus comes and Jesus offers relief. He offers to take your bags and give you rest. In a culture that says, come to me, achieve your name, maintain it by rigorous obedience to our standards, and then we will accept you. And if not, we will cancel you based on your purity, based on your performance. Into that exhausting, burdensome culture, Jesus comes to us and says, come to me and I will name you. I will claim you as mine forever and I will give you rest. See, and that restful love will then empower you to change your life. Because we see in verse 29, Jesus is our red cap service. In verse 29, Jesus comes to us and he offers us an identity, what he calls his yoke. Now, for those of you who don't live on a farm, or for those of you who live on a farm where things drink diesel instead of water, let's land on what a yoke is, okay? Here's a yoke. The big old, usually iron or wood bar like this, you take those little U-looking things out and you lay that over the neck of a team of oxen typically, put the U-thing back on to lock them in there, and it's heavy to begin with, and then you, to that big iron ring there, you hook the thing you want them to drag, whatever it is, the burden that you want them to pull. So Jesus says, I will put this on you. So see, he's messing with his hearers a little bit, isn't he? 
People don't wear yokes. Animals do. See, this metaphor actually won't work unless we recognize that Jesus is superior and gets to put a yoke on us. Jesus comes here and he says, submit to me, then you will learn from me. That's his yoke. It's an easy, light yoke, he says. But I want to think about that for a second, how he says, learn from me. What does a couple of oxen learn? You ever thought about that? Whenever you come across metaphors in the Bible, it's a good thing to stop and think, why did he say it that way? I mean, at the end of a season of plowing, can these oxen do math? Have they learned that? Can they calculate their taxes? You know, do oxen owe taxes? Depending on what party's in power, probably. <clears throat> no, what, what do these oxen do? They learn to submit to the direction and pace of their master. Our master's first command here is come. Did you see what his second command is? Learn. Jesus says, come, and then he says, now learn. I really want you to know who I am. I really want you to know me. And so Jesus says, who I am, fundamentally, who I really am, my deepest part, I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's Jesus' self-description. Oh, for you non-Christians here today, or maybe you're, you're in conversation with people you love who don't know Christ, this is who Jesus wants to be known as. Please introduce people to this Jesus, not the exacting and angry Jesus, not the aloof and foreboding Jesus, the gentle and lowly Jesus, because that's how he describes himself. And for those of us who are Christians, you realize that we're going to spend the rest of our lives actually trying to believe this fundamental truth that Jesus is gentle and lowly, because everything in our heart rejects it, doesn't it? Now, for the ancients, the heart was not the seat of emotions like it is for us. The heart meant kind of your true interior self. All, you know, giving people the benefit of the doubt, everything they're trying to say when they use the word authentic is what the ancients would have used for the word heart. This who you really are. And so Jesus says at his core here, who he really is, is he is gentle. That's a word we use all the time, isn't it? But do we really know what it means? Years and years ago, I was uh, in this really fancy mall, doesn't matter where, and I was going to try to, you know, get a gift for my wife that I couldn't afford, and so I walked into the Ralph Lauren store. And like, as soon as I walked into the Ralph Lauren store, I don't know where this guy came from, I, I, out of the blue, he accosted me, draped a really nice cashmere Ralph Lauren blazer over me, and he said, true story, perhaps the gentleman would be more comfortable shopping in this. <laughs> now, at the time, I was really, really young. And I didn't know then what I know now. So young people, let me give you on a secret. Anybody who works at a fancy store like that can't afford to shop there. Um, so don't be, don't be intimidated by them. I was. I assumed he was better than me because he was here at a store I couldn't afford to be in. And so I immediately was like submissive and took the jacket and stuff. But it's okay that he did that because he called me a gentleman. It's a compliment. Why is it a compliment? It was a gentle man. What is gentle? Well, this word is used in the New Testament and other places for the word meek. We don't like that one because it rhymes with weak. I know. But gentle or meek, what is this? It basically means controlled power. Able but not willing to do harm. Outside of the Bible, it's most often used to describe horses 
and the wind. I like that one, the wind. Think about it. The same wind that can blow a building down in a hurricane is the same wind that when you're all sweaty on a summer afternoon can just blow and just relieve the heat. That's meek. So Jesus comes and Jesus says here, I'm not harsh. I don't lose my temper when you do something silly. I don't cancel you because of your failures. He's gentle. He also says that his heart, who he really is, is lowly. This one messes me up a lot. Because lowly, it, what it really means, it actually goes beyond humble. That'd be hard enough. This goes beyond humble to actually the way it's used. This word means humiliated. At his core, Jesus is base. He's cast down even unimpressive, and he's bragging about it. This is who I am. Let's go back to the Ralph Lauren store. What the attendant really said to me was, you are too lowly dressed like that to shop here. I need to raise you up because you're not enough. You're embarrassing. You're unimpressive. You're lowly. And that's Jesus' self-description here. Jesus claims to be base. He claims to be unimpressive as his deepest identity. Dude, what? I mean, can we be candid with each other? We are all desperately afraid of being humiliated and embarrassed, aren't we? Teenagers, you don't grow out of it, sorry. We just hide it better than you do. So we create facades we carefully curate our social media. We wear the right things. We say the right things because we don't want to be humiliated. Don't make me look stupid. Oh, please, did I say something stupid? You know it, don't you? We exert so much energy to be well thought of, to, to maintain our chosen identity. It is a heavy, heavy yoke of armor plating around our terrified, timid, fearful hearts. Because we are terrified is the right word, aren't we? We are terrified of being lowly. Yet Jesus boasts of his lowliness. He's accessible to you. He's open to you. He doesn't treat you like the Ralph Lauren guy. You're embarrassing us both. Here, hide yourself. Be this person instead. No. Jesus is our red cap. He serves us. You don't have to unburden yourself to come to him. He wants your burdens. He's like, bring me that failure. I'll give you a ticket for it. Bring me your fears. Bring me your embarrassment. I want those things. It's our baggage that qualifies us for his service. He wants those burdens. We bring our burden and he takes it. And from his gentle, lowly heart, he says, to our souls is the word he uses, to our very personhood. We could really say from his heart to our heart, to our anxious, fearful core, he gives rest. Can you imagine that? Instead of walking away from every small talk conversation, did I say something stupid? Did I make a good impression? Do they like me? You just have this rest where you love them, but you don't care because you don't need them. That's what Jesus offers. 
a release from dragging around our burdens in this life. Jesus becomes our red cap. He takes our burdens and he leaves us in verse 30 with just a carry-on to, to get through the crowd. Jesus takes care of it all. He rescues us. The stressful, the jockeying for position, he just gives us rest. And he claims that his yoke in verse 30 is easy. It means good. It means pleasant. To a community used to seeing oxen in yokes, it's an oxymoron, even a joke. The yoke that he lays on his people is a non-yoke is what he's saying. His burden, his obligations, what he does for us, he puts us at ease. It's light. It's a non-burden. Okay, let's bring this into our world. Okay, let's quit talking about yokes. I know you've never seen one in real life probably. I haven't either. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say a word that brings more fear, pressure, and a sense of failure than many other words in our culture. That's quite a buildup, isn't it? <laughs> you ready? College. Young people, you feel it. You got to get a scholarship. You got to get to the right school. You can't just go to this really cool college alternative where you'll make more money and have a better life because you'll be a failure if you don't. You got to go to the college. Young parents, you feel it. I got to start saving or I'm a failure. Because remember, you're in a race. You didn't know everyone else is doing better than you, right? Older parents, you feel it. I got to pay for the right college or I'm a failure. Grandparents, you feel it. They better get them into the right college or I can't brag at the table. I'm a failure. And into that pressure, into that very real burden, Jesus is Aunt Becky from the college scandal. I heard someone else say that on a podcast. I can't take credit for it. I missed their explanation, but as I thought about it, I realized they were right. Here's what I mean. I want to throw up a picture of the, oh, remember these people? Remember this? Okay, if you raise your hand, if you know who these people are. Yeah, the cast of Full House. Right there, dead center, is Lori Laughlin, who played Aunt Becky on Full House. She was one of the 50 or so rich and or famous people who were arrested in the college admissions scandal a few years ago, about four years ago, I think, at this point. And what Jesus tells us here, stick with me, is that he's Aunt Becky. Here's what I mean. Into all that ridiculous pressure that college brings to everybody in the room, that heavy, heavy burden that's neither light nor easy, along comes Aunt Becky, who looks at her precious child, and she says this to her child. Go ahead. Next slide, please. There we go. She says this. You can't do this. The price of admission is too high. You lack the qualifications and resources to get in. You aren't enough. So I will use my significant resources. I will pay the price required to get you in. I will guarantee your spot at no cost to you because I love you. That's the gospel. That is the pleasant non-burden that Jesus offers to every one of you today. Here's what I mean. In the midst of all this talk of a non-burden, of gentle and lowly and all those things, never forget, and Jesus was the biggest proponent of this, God is absolutely uncompromising in His holiness. His demand for perfect obedience still stands. Admission to God's family is sinlessness and perfection. Jesus Himself said what? Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Total holiness in thought, in word, 
and in deed. It is an unbearable burden. And so Jesus looks at you, and Jesus says this, you can't do this. The price of admission is too high. You lack the qualifications and resources to get in. You aren't enough. So I will use my significant resources. I will pay the price required to get you in, and I will guarantee your spot. All at no cost to you because I love you. That's the gospel. Has that gospel truth really messed you up? And I mean that honestly. Has it messed you up? Or is it very safe? Is it very tame? Do you get the theological? I got it. Does it get into your heart? Because that's how you change your life. When that gospel gets into your heart. When you recognize why Martin Luther said, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Because we leak Or why the psalmist says, God's mercies are new every morning. You know why? Because we need them every day. We never get past the gospel. Growth in Christ means getting deeper into the gospel. It is the meat, not the milk. Has that gospel messed up your heart? Even though you think you know how the world works, does this picture of grace challenge you? You know, one of the reasons that the gospel took off in the ancient world because that the Greeks and Romans really thought that they had life figured out. They were one of the first cultures to really have an over-expansing kind of explanation for why things are the way they are. And they did this through their myths. And one of the myths that was very profound that we still have around today is the myth of Procrustes and his bed. Or if you're a Percy Jackson fan, Krusty the waterbed salesman. I want to remind you of what what Krusty did. Krusty's, if you remember the myth, he had this bed. It was a certain length. And as travelers would come through the hospitality conventions of the day, they would stay with him, and he would drug them and put them on this bed. And if they didn't fit it exactly, he would stretch them to make them fit the bed. Or he would lop stuff off if they were too long to fit them into the bed. And in the myth, the person always died. And these myths were not just left there as stories. They were actually explained as an explanation of life. And you can look this up yourself. One of the common explanations for the myth of Procrustes was that people are always sacrificed to the dogmas of the day. You are forced into what culture says you should be. Now, I know we got the internet and microwaves, so we've moved beyond all that. But we have Procrustes too, don't we? This culture, the dogmas of our day demand our conformity. And if we don't conform, they will cancel us. They will dox us. They will swat us. They will destroy us. See, but in the gospel, Jesus comes to you and says, not me. I place no burden on you. My burden's a non-burden. I demand no conformity. I will not torture you to fit me. In the gospel, instead of torturing us to fit God's standards, do you see it? Jesus let himself be tortured to fulfill God's standards for us. Jesus conformed to us by being human, and in his humanity, he let himself be killed to cover our sins, to conform us to God's standards. 
And in the gospel, we can be united to him so that what's true of him is true of us. Because Jesus is gentle and lowly, he debases himself for you. So you don't have to be debased to come to him. He takes your burden and he gives you a pleasant non-burden. All because he loves you. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's God's red cap service for your burdens. Do you know this gospel? Let's pray together. A gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, we're so used to hearing about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that it, it becomes the point in the sermon where we start packing our things because we know Sean's getting ready to sum it up. Lord, would you once again enthrall our hearts with the fact that when we were under the curse of your law, you sent your son, born of a woman, born under that law to redeem us from the curse of your law. That when we could not come to you, you came to us. And instead of demanding that we wallow and are debased and humiliated, groveling before you, Jesus Christ came and was gentle and lowly and debased and mocked and tortured and killed to raise us up to be called your daughters and sons. Lord, would you break our hearts over this gospel and give us joy. And from that, Lord, would you then empower our longing to know more of you and our longing to be more like your son. Oh, Lord, would you make us more like Jesus? We want to be more like Jesus. So would you enthrall our hearts to, to do that, to motivate us? Lord, we pray that as Jesus Christ has been shown clearly in his gospel, you would be true to your promise that you would draw all people to yourself. Even now, Father, would you cause many to repent and believe. We ask that you would do this, Father, by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.